20 years specifically in what I'm doing, it has been reinvented every few years intentionally and sometimes regretfully to try to keep up with the left side of the bell curve because that's what fascinated me. I'm Brian Kramer. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is making smaller shifts. It's the small shifts in our lives that can create epic outcomes. Your journey to be more deeply connected into the life you truly deserve starts right now. Welcome to Humanly Possible, a podcast focused on small shifts that can make epic differences in our lives and at work. I'll introduce our guest, who's someone I admire and have honored, am so honored to have on the show, and my good friend, Brian Solis. Brian's a world-renowned digital anthropologist and futurist. We're going to talk about him like he's actually not here, but he's sitting here listening to me, so this is going to be kind of weird for him, but great for us. He's also an award-winning author and global keynote speaker. Brian's research advisory and presentations humanize, which I love that word, the relationship between disruptive innovation and its impact on institutions, markets, and societies. It sounds intriguing and inquisitive. I can't wait for you guys to hear about this. I also want to let you know that he serves as the global innovation evangelist at Salesforce. So it's this little tiny company that does all kinds of really cool things. His work focuses on thought leadership and research that explores digital transformation, innovation, and disruption, CX, e-commerce, and the cognitive enterprise. So you can rest medicine. Brian, how are you doing? Well, first of all, any time with you is uh, time well spent. So I really appreciate it. I just wish it was in person. Oh, I know. I know. Um, that that is for sure, especially during this time. Um, but I want to jump right in and just kind of ask you about some of the shifts in your life and then some of the shifts that you're seeing in business. So we'll start there. Um, first things first, tell me about a small shift at any given time in your life. And you thought it was small at the time, but it ended up being kind of a bigger shift. Oh, man. You know, I, I honestly do not know how to answer that question because I feel like if I look back at the decisions I've made over, you know, what's kind of, I think it's more than a 20 year career, but 20 years specifically in what I'm doing, it has been reinvented every few years intentionally uh, and, and sometimes regretfully uh, to try to keep up with the left side of the bell curve uh, because that that was what fascinated me. So I, I don't really think about it in, in those terms. I think about where, where I want to be and, and where my heart and brain want to go. And you never know if it's the right thing. Uh, and why I said regretfully earlier is because I've always seen in hindsight that I've always left too early. <laughs> so, And as an entrepreneur for a, basically 99%, of that time, uh, when you when you leave too early, you leave a lot of money on the table, and as a single income family, that that adds up over time. Uh, but the move, though, not that you asked me this, but joining Salesforce was an intentionally big move that I hope would have a big outcome. Uh, so that I, I I went into that decision completely changing my trajectory, and also uh, fingers crossed. Uh, changing the 
the the impact that I can have in the world now. How was that going 99% entrepreneurial to working for one of the most fastest, most innovative companies in the world, but also joining a different side of life? Yeah. And then also, you know, given the no pressure title of global innovation evangelist for the most innovative company in the world, right? And that is uh, no small feat. How is it? It's it, and how was it? It was, um, you know, it's like, it's like a trust fall. Uh, I, I'm joining a team of, of really amazing people that I've long admired. Fall Offshar, Bruce Richardson, Peter Coffey, Tiffany Bova, uh, Matthew Sweezy, um, Marty Kine. Uh, so many people. My boss, John Toshik, I go back with uh, 20 years. Uh, it, it's, um, it's one of those things where like, if you want to get better at tennis, play people who are better than you. Uh, and so I sort of feel like I've, I've joined people that I can learn from. Uh, and so I, it was a big, wasn't a big leap of faith at all. It was, it was a, you know, a trust fall. And now, now I feel in just the eight months that I've been there, almost eight months that I, I don't think I've been this creatively on fire for a really long time, you know, just kind of like that. You see, you see, and you feel all these amazing things that people around you are doing and thinking and like, I, I can't, I can't slouch. I gotta, I gotta step it up. What is, um, cause I, I would think of you as a creative on fire person ever since I've known you and, or known of you. Um, what is that? Sh- what's the difference? What's the shift of, of all that? Cause you've, Forgive me. I I think you've written four books, six books. I don't. Um, I, I should think, know I that. Think, I think five by myself, and three. Five, okay, and three with co-authors. And you 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 write papers, you research, you do uh, you speak, you, you you've been creating all this great stuff. As I hit my water bottle down, uh, thank God it's just water. Um, <laughs> Didn't need that. <laughs> and so. What is the difference between this level of creativity that you're describing and what you've done? Okay, so uh, this is for context, not for bragging rights. But you know, when you write that many books and you have, I think I've written over sixty research papers, um, and then countless articles. You know, average maybe somewhere between fifty to one hundred uh, events a year. It was. It wasn't until recently where I really came to grips with having imposter syndrome, and that has always been a weight dragging me back and down. And even though you say you've known me as being creatively on fire, uh, I never really felt that way. But I can actually um, still still contending with those those challenges. But I can actually see it now. You know, and then I think I think a lot of that had to do with the, uh, the the intentional decision to join a company like Salesforce is because I wanted a bigger opportunity to make a bigger impact. And when you're, I, I feel so inspired. And also, look, the pandemic is adding to this. I joined the company as everything was shutting down, uh, and as a result, you know, you you have this new sense of motivation. You know, I, I got to help businesses navigate these times that are without uh, precedent, but also without a playbook. Uh, and I don't want to lead people down the wrong path. So I'm going to work harder and think differently and more creatively. Uh, tap tap insides and 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 sources that I haven't really tapped before to to have that sense of purpose and to have that kind of sense of, um, I don't know, impact where I'm helping 
And so when that, you feel that, you feel that and you see it, you actually get a chance to see it. Uh, so that, I guess that's the difference. You know, a lot of this, um, I'm really excited, proud friend, um, when you brought out life skill, cause that, that really spoke to me in the journey where I was headed. Um, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of what came out of the social media, I say forever's listening in air quotes, uh, land of us all getting wrapped into, um, the word I, the best word I can come up with is, uh, always on. And your book talks about that and more, uh, purpose and energizing and reconsidering and rekindling, refocusing and re and believing. Um, so needed in the world and still needed. What inspired you to write that book? You know, you and I and, and all of our friends, we were all optimists and dreamers and really wanted to make the best of an entirely new opportunity to democratize information and influence and build greater global communities that, were, that felt much more intimate. And in many ways, we did. Uh, and... <clears throat> To give you an idea, maybe like 12, 14 years ago, I wrote a paper for a government organization in the United States that also said, you know, we can take this further. We can, we can get governments involved in ways that increase, increase civic engagement, that create co you know, collaborative policies, that people feel like they can take a stake in, 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 their, in their government. Uh, we could bring, create communities and, and around municipalities, you know, state level, national level. And, and, and then you know, I also said, here's how, some, here's how we would do it. You know, and essentially positive influence and uh, to watch it all go the other way uh, was, was heartbreaking. And some of my work went to focus on how do you combat what, what we were seeing in terms of the negativity, right? It's not like fake news happened just in 2016. I, you know, we, were, we, were watching, we were watching division and discord going back to uh, Iran and uh, Egypt and all around the world where social media helped cause revolutions in really positive ways, but also when when we started to see that positivity, we also started to see uh, James Bond villains, you know, coming out of the woodworks using those same tactics, uh, but against us. Uh, and so, I, I, I behind the scenes, I had long in, invested in understanding what was happening and also the psyops of how to do it and how to see if you could reverse it. I even had some really fun experiments with fighting it. What was one of them? What was like an experiment? I, I, th I think I can talk about this one because I presented on it at, uh, I think it was Social Media Marketing World in 2018, 2017. I don't know. Bots that fought bots, which was really interesting. Uh, and that chased down people who shared misinformation from bots. Uh, and it, it was, it was uh, really interesting, but it was super expensive uh, and complicated in that even though Twitter and Facebook and YouTube don't get the bad guys, they always seem to get the good guys. And I, uh, in order to take it to the next level, I was going to have to get it funded and, and staffed and nobody wanted to put anything in it. It was so strange. I don't, I just, you know, we knew there was a problem, but, uh, you know, nobody really wanted to put their money, uh, behind it or the resources behind it. Uh, and later to find out why, 
Uh, and that was because no matter how much discord it's, uh, it sowed or how much chaos it wreaked, it was incredibly profitable. It still is incredibly profitable. Uh, but then you know, just kind of put a bow on this and throw it back to you was uh, life scale. That was when I realized that the, the design of those apps that were meant to hold you or the algorithms that were meant to stoke you uh, in, and that they, they would learn over time that the most divisive things were actually the most engaging things. Uh, and then reverse engineer, I'm, I love UX UI. Uh, I, 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 for those who've read my books or seen my books, they're all based on mobile UX and UI and every book has actually been wireframed. I call them analog apps. Uh, but when I started to reverse engineer the whole concept of fake news, I also started to realize that I was reverse engineering the addiction part of social media. And then it also started to reveal a lot of things that I learned about myself that were the result of all of that stuff that I hadn't seen before. And when I looked up through that new lens, I actually saw relationships in disarray, uh, work work in it, work that wasn't satisfying or in any place where I, I thought I would be at that time and not not in bad ways just just eye-opening ways to say gosh I thought I was here but I wasn't there I was actually over here do I want to be over here or do I still want to be over there and then realized that I, I so those became the keynotes for that year, South by Southwest and social media marketing world was sort of revealing this stuff. And at South by Southwest, somebody said, well, what are you going to do about it? What do we do about it? And so that's what, that's then the journey that ended up becoming LifeScale was, okay, what do we do about it? What do we do about it? <laughs> You're going to say that. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, it turns out that a lot of the, a lot of the principles that Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all of these, uh, all the algorithms then that feed you what you see, scrolling mechanisms, likes, followers, etc. They're all based on a lot of, let's just say, if you had to take the, uh, the tobacco industry's playbook and the casinos playbook and the gaming playbook, uh, all of the things that essentially hook you, uh, that's that's what that's what social networks did intentionally, and it was all meant to capture your attention and hold it. But more importantly, it's called persuasive design. It's actually a course taught at Stanford. Uh, it is meant to change your behaviors. And I don't think you know BJ Fogg is a friend of mine. I don't think he had he's one of the the leaders in persuasive design instruction. I don't think he has sinister intentions. Uh, you know, where he would finish every class by holding his pinky up to his bottom lip. Uh, he would, he would, uh, he just really wanted to change behaviors in ways that just helped scale technology in new places, right? So I'll give you an example of that. If you look back to the original online photo sharing sites that were introduced in the late 90s, like Club Photo or Ophoto or Shutterfly, you know, part of what they were doing was trying to convince consumers to take their digital pictures and put them on the internet. And this was at a time when people 
actually knew what the word privacy meant and, and really held onto it. I mean, many people probably then still had shoeboxes of pictures. So they had to do the things that would get you to feel comfortable to start putting your pictures online. Now, if you look back, it's ridiculous that we didn't do it, right? Everybody shares, overshares maybe. Uh, and so what they didn't study though was what happens when you play with internal human algorithms like this. Uh, and what are the longer-term effects? And it turns out that they're dire and they're devastating. And I know you asked, what do we do about it? I just want to kind of tee up what, we, what we're going to try to do something about, which is, you know, if you go, if, you, if you've been using this stuff since 2006, 2007, 2008, and every network that has come from that, uh, you've essentially rewired your brain to think and move and act differently. You've rewired the chemistry and biology within your body uh, to seek out the feelings that you have, the sensations that you have when you get a like, when you get a follower, when you get a lot of engagement. Uh, and so it starts to mimic inside the same effects that drugs have on your body. Uh, you know, makes you feel better in the moment, you want it more. And so essentially, every time you would throw up the screen, you're giving yourself a microdose of whatever it is that you want in that moment. But they never add up to satisfaction. You just keep giving yourself the hits. But you're moving so quick, you're moving so fast, you're jumping to the next thing, you're doing the next challenge, whatever it is. They never have a chance to actually self-diagnose or self-reflect. You just feel like never satisfied, you know, maybe not happy. Maybe if you did talk to a psychologist, you might find that your self-confidence and self-esteem is actually lower than it's ever been. Uh, that maybe not only are you unhappy, but maybe you're sort of making the path towards depression. Like a lot of really crazy things. Like, and look, they all, they all happened in my life too when I started to pay attention to them. So the thing about it was there were... When I was writing LifeScale, I was doing the research to figure out like, what do you do? I used myself as a guinea pig. I needed to fix my life as well. So I wasn't going to give up tech though. That's the thing. I, I just needed to give it a sense of purpose. I didn't want to, I didn't want to be the guy that said, Oh no, no, no. Just, just go check your phone at the door. You don't need this. Go get a flip phone, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I wanted to see if I could take control of it and see if I could use the same techniques that they use to make me addicted to make me stronger uh, and better in my relationship with technology. So what we do about it is not unlike what you do about combating alcoholism or beating a drug addiction. It's you got to put in the work, man. And the only way to do it is actually see that you have a problem, see that you, you are not where you are, to agree that you have a place that you'd rather be and that you need the support and the and and whatever intervention in your world to start making that path forward and so i broke it out into tangible steps the first step was to rewire your brain at least to the point where you could focus on the fact that you were going to have to do this work ahead and have the capacity to do it uh, and then later was just to do the exercises to actually recenter you. Uh, you know, like one of the things that we don't realize is that our values change as we use all this stuff. Uh, you know, you, you, if, I didn't even realize it, but if you think about it, if all you're doing is following people who are posting these mo the most amazing pictures of everywhere that they're going, all of the things that they're getting and how they're, uh, the, the clothes that they're wearing, whatever it is, you start to slowly realize like I, that. That's that's how I picture myself. 
right? It's just sort of a, a selfie aspiration, as I used to call it, right? Like you, how you projected yourself wasn't necessarily who you were in the real world, but eventually how you projected yourself online was who you became in the real world, for better or for worse. So long story short, the book, The Path, actually just recenters you about realizing where you are and then where you want to be and then doing the things to, to bring that to life step by step and then repeat, repeat, repeat. This podcast is brought to you by Penji. Penji is an unlimited graphic service that connects you with the top 2% of graphic designers in the world. Get the creative output of an internal design team without the overhead cost. Receive custom design projects from logos to flyers, from digital print, and even UI UX. I know because I've used them. They're perfect for for graphic design service if you're the person that's either doing all the graphic design yourself or maybe you have an internal team that's just too busy and you need to outsource some of it. I've used them in creating our latest project, a 42-page ebook on productivity for coaches and consultants. It turned out fantastic. I've been very impressed with the overall communication and delivery. And what's great about Penji is that you're not just working with one designer's skill or style. Your team's skills can be treated like a design buffet. You can request a logo, custom illustrations, and even a website design all under one plan. This is because I need that level of flexibility and it's hard to find that by hiring a freelancer online. And not to mention the longer you work with Penji, the more they learn about your style and the brands you work with. Because you're a listener of Humanly Possible, the podcast, you get 15% off your first month. The process is simple. Before you sign up, enter the code H2H15. That's H number 2H15. And once you're in, submit your brief for the first project. I recommend submitting clear details so your brief is totally understandable and add visual examples so the team can see your style and knows exactly what you're looking for. Need a few edits? You can make revisions directly on the platform. Projects are always delivered in under 48 hours. And overall, I was super impressed with the process that it ended up giving me more time throughout my day. I felt confident that Penji was going to get it right and I didn't have to micromanage. So head over to penji.co and use the code H2H15 today for a better way to outsource your graphic design. Again, that's penji.co and use the code H2H15. That topic alone, I could talk to you all day about. Um, uh, I do want to cover one more thing, and that's your creative process, because it really like it is. It's a, it's astonishing to me when you, and this is my own observation. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like you you go into this um, place, and 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 you do this normally. You look at things and you turn them over. And then you turn them over and then you turn them over and you turn them over and you look at it a hundred different ways. And then you come out of this hibernation with this thing. And it's, and uh, you and I have talked about this before, but you actually write more than actually is needed and then have to pare it back to what's, what can make sense. Cause you're, you're, you've, you've looked into this thing so deeply. I love that about you. And I'm curious, where does that come from and how do you process through that? Oh boy. Well, uh, you probably articulated the creative process better than I could. I've never actually documented it or thought about it. I just have something I feel and need to do. I don't know. It's probably why I've left all of the previous industries or focuses or topics or narratives too soon. (laughs) So 
Um, but yeah, every every big thing and also every little thing is incredibly intentional. And sometimes, sometimes I can't even do it. Sometimes I'll just sit in front of a computer and not be able to, to do anything. You know, just allow myself to go, self to go down all the rabbit holes uh, just because I can't, I can't engage the mechanism. But the, the, the process is usually this. I believe in something. I see a, an outcome and I need to make sense of it for me. Add to that some imposter syndrome. So you do the extra work to make it like really get your arms around it and overcreate, but also recognize that whatever it is you create doesn't mean that it's one useful or creative. Uh, and then two, it doesn't always make the sense you think it does. And so I'm not in any way, shape, or form below asking for help, like from an editor hey, does this make sense? Can you guide me? The other thing is that I also like to express myself in, in other ways beyond words, uh, which is uh, I'm not an artist in any way, shape, or form, but I really like, I really like the, uh, the creative process of illustration, of um, animation, of video. Uh, and as I was writing uh, the book before LifeScale called X, I actually hired uh, a gentleman by the name of Nicholas Sung, who was a Pixar storyboard artist uh, so that I could learn the art form of storyboarding, uh, which is really, really, really uh, aligned with how you tell a story. Uh, it's just this, this visual art form of it. Uh, and everything uh, from character development to story arcs and to how you communicate, like the intention of a storyboard wasn't just to visualize the story. It was actually to test the whole immersion of, of, of your story in of itself, at least the best ones were. Uh, and so that was the Disney way that I learned. And that, that is a big part of my creative process now was realizing that I, I, I hit a, I used to write super geeky and super like, uh, what maybe narcissistically, like I, I have something to say and I'm going to say it, I'm going to publish it. And look back in the day, uh, it seemed to work, but over time though, as more and more voices came into whatever subject that we, we write about or that interests us as, as, as more and more experts find their voices in this world, it, you know, it, 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 it challenges you to be, uh, to find new ways to tell that story uh, by understanding how people want to hear it or what they're struggling with or what they consume or what they don't consume uh, and letting letting yourself just grow and evolve uh, and not be stubborn about the way that we always did it. That's been, that's been key. And maybe it comes back full circle to the first question you asked, which was that being creatively alive is that I am trying new things. Things like, for example, I launched a video series called Revolution many years ago, but I never, ever wanted to be in front of a camera. Never. Uh, and that I opened myself up to that because it, that, that was a medium that you just, that just worked. Uh, and now I'm doing a live series that I just launched with, with uh, my friend John Kao. Uh, called intersections and i'm on live video which is crazier because now you're <laughs> you don't have professionals telling you what to do or how to do it uh and then also bringing on people who i'm i could be as an introvert normally intimidated by uh in terms of their 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 intellect or their work or their prowess uh, or their vision uh and 
just loving every bit of it, just growing and learning and unlearning and being inspired by the people and the things that I, uh, I choose to, 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 to allow myself to see. Mm. You, uh, well, you're, you, you're always uh, taking on new challenges and inspiring. And so the last thing I'm going to ask you is, um, what is one shift of one leadership lesson that changed the way you approach your life? You know, I asked you not to tell me the questions in advance, and this would have been one of them I probably should have had in advance. <laughs> that's, a, that's a really deep question. You know, I often come back to my younger years, and I was this hot shot in Silicon Valley, super young, helping launch these incredible startups and disrupting, you know, the traditional company that I was working in as I helped these startups. And the CEO, she was a real good mentor of mine. And she sat, she sat down with me and she said, you know, so have you ever thought about the answer to this question, which was, do you want to be rich or do you want to be famous? And I thought it sarcastically and, and uh, flippantly like responded, well, why, why can't you be both? And, uh, I, and I, I realized that I just answered just to answer and to just be that, that rebel in hindsight. Uh, the leadership impact of that conversation didn't hit until many, many years later. And then it really came up again as I was writing LifeScale. And look, and we're talking about 1996 here. So it's been, a, it's been one of those uh, lessons that took a little bit to come, come around. And it was, I don't know that I want either. That was the answer. I just want happiness. I want contentment. And whatever that looks like or feels like is the journey you're supposed to go on so you can answer that for yourself. So now that's where I am. I can't wait. I can't uh, think of a better way to close this out. Brian, um, I can't wait to see what's in store for you. I know it, I know it's good stuff coming, but um, everything that you have done and everything you're about to do, I know is going to be awesome. And I'm, I'm excited to see your journey. Well, you, uh, you know, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I'm certainly, uh, certainly working on some cool things. And it's just a matter of making them happen. It's always the case. But uh, either way, though, I think that the difference is, and I appreciate those words, the difference is now is I've also enjoyed the journey here. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And um, I'll be sure to, we'll be sure. To, where does everybody find you? What, what, where can everybody locate Brian Solis? I think we all know the answer, but just, just so everybody Yeah, knows. I guess it's the Lone Eagle in Incline Village uh, is basically the answer. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, other than that, it's at Brian Solis uh, on on the socials and BrianSolis.com online. Thanks, my friend. Appreciate you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe. We love having subscribers just like you. Download a few more episodes, and if you feel moved, we would so appreciate a review. I'd love to also hear your key takeaway. What impacted you from this episode? You can tweet me your answer and reach out on Twitter at Brian Kramer. That's Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K. And definitely be sure to join us in our Facebook group. We have just under 3,000 humans just like you and me looking to connect even more imperfectly. Until next time.